This message is brought to you by House on the Rock Fellowship. We are a church that serves and cares for the Miami Valley region in Ohio. Before you continue, make sure to access the notes from our download section of our message page and have your Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. So glad that you guys are here. I want to read, this is what we call affectionately the story of the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan. This is Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Okay? Luke chapter 10, 25 through 37. It's right on the beginning in front of the justice guide that we gave you. And behold... A lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, Well, what's written in the law? How do you read it? He answered Jesus, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, meaning desiring to stand rightly before God, to do the right thing, said to Jesus, Who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road and saw him passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him and passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was and when he saw him, had compassion He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave him to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? He said to him, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. We've been using this story to help us enter into the challenge of biblical justice, restoring justice. Would you use your imagination for me and enter into this story a little bit? Imagine, if you will, that you were the news crew and you came upon the man beaten on the side of the road. Just as a distant perspective, what does he look like? What are his wounds? What do you see? It says he fell among robbers. They stripped him, beat him, departed, leaving him half dead. What is it that he received at the hands of the robbers? Did they break his arm? Did they beat his face? Are the eyes almost swollen shut? 
the mouth bloodied? How well is he breathing? What is he wearing? What is he not wearing? Maybe he was coming, you know, from one town to another. Maybe he had all of his stuff with him, and now he doesn't have his stuff. Maybe his backpack, his luggage is torn and strewn all over the place. Maybe his tunic is torn. Maybe he doesn't have it on at all. How long has he been lying there? Is he shivering? What sounds is he making? We, we want to start from that place because now the good Samaritan comes upon him. What is it that the good Samaritan does? Well, the good Samaritan expresses his goodness in relation to the needs and the injuries that he sustained, right? So now he's bandaging the arm and he's wiping the blood away from the face and he's, 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 he's bandaging his head. Maybe he's putting some clothes on him. It says he's pouring wine, an antiseptic. He's pouring oil, a healer. What do you see the Good Samaritan doing as the Good Samaritan all alone? Hoist, you know, a, a man not participating in his own, getting dead weight is heavy. Okay, this guy is getting down and he is trying to get up on an animal. And you're watching the Good Samaritan bring the man to an inn. How long was the hike? Was it two miles? Was it four miles? I don't know. You're seeing him carry him in and setting him on a, in a room on a bed wiping and restoring and healing and maybe feeding, pouring water in. We're always mindful of what it was that he endured. Saying to the innkeeper, hey, I've got him back to base, okay? I've got to go away. You're gonna, I need you to feed him. I need to make sure that he has enough to drink. Can you please change his bandages? I'll be back in a couple of days. When I get back, I'll take care of it from there. Here's some money should cover today, should cover tomorrow, even the next day. Can you see to this, please? Always mindful of what it was that the good Samaritan did in relation to what the injured person needed. Maybe on your notes, could you, I want you to write down five things. Write down five things that you think that this man experienced. What is it that the robbers did to him? What is it something that, that the good Samaritan would have had to have done to restore him? Use your imagination. Use your imagination. What's the right answer? What's the wrong answer? You're using your imagination. What did he incur? What did the robbers do to him? Write down five things. Bandaged him, clothed him, gave him drink, set his broken arm. Splinted maybe an ankle, I don't know. Fed him. Got him to aid. Write down five things. When the good Samaritan shows up after being away for two days, the man may be restored consciousness, who knows? 
And he has a chance to process what the good Samaritan had done. Oh, he splinted and set my ankle, my broken arm. He wiped away the blood and washed my hair. Oh, oh this, he, he, he cleaned the dirt away. He gave me drink. He gave me food. What is the man going to say to the good Samaritan when the good Samaritan walks in? How is he going to respond to this good Samaritan when the good Samaritan walks through the door? Thank you for setting. Thank you for healing. Thank you for feeding. Thank you for giving me drink. Thank you for not leaving me on the road. Thank you. Maybe there's a hug. Maybe there's embrace. Maybe there's a handshake. Maybe there's tears. As this one who was found in the most vulnerable and destitute of situations, hungered, beaten, orphaned, gets back on his feet again. Why do we slow down to think about that, to talk about that? Because what we're trying to learn is justice. We're trying to understand biblical justice, restoring justice. But restoring justice flows from recognizing goodness. Okay, let me say that again. Maybe something that you want to write down in your notes. Okay, restoring justice flows from, flows out of recognizing goodness. What is it that the Samaritan did such that we call this the story of the good Samaritan? We don't say it's the story of the Samaritan. No, it's the story of the what? The good Samaritan. Why? Because he does good things. He manifests a good quality. It's not the story of the good priest, right? Why isn't it a good priest? What did the priest do? Other side. What did the Levite do? Other side. Not the story of the good robbers. Not the story of the good innkeeper. It's the story of the good Samaritan. Why? Because of what the Samaritan did that manifested the actions of, that led to the restoration of this other human being. Restoring justice. If that's what we're going to be about, and God says he loves justice, God says, seek justice, do justice. If we're going to be about justice, biblical justice, not political justice, not social justice, not other kinds of justices out there. If we're going to be about restoring biblical justice, that means we need to get a handle on goodness, recognizing goodness, because justice flows out of goodness. What is it? that the Samaritan did. To help us do that, we're going to go back to this psalm that you guys read during our congregational reading, Psalm 145, to anchor us in the goodness of God.
Some of you who have been journeying with me for the last couple months know that I have had a car that has needed some repair. And it is in the garage and has been in the garage on moving for six weeks because the engine has been taken apart so that the engine can be put back together again so that the car can do what the car is designed to do, transporting and going and doing. But it can't do that because the engine's all taken apart. The car can't move because of what's wrong with the engine. Think about our topic today. You look at the challenge of justice and you look at the problems that's surrounding our culture and society and you look at your own ineptness as a follower of Jesus Christ and you're like, I got no fuel in the tank. Nothing is going, nothing is working. How can I be an engine for justice? Your engine needs to be fueled by the goodness of God. As we recognize God's goodness, it will fuel and drive our energy our capacity to participate in restoring justice. Psalm 145. I want to read it. You follow along? Psalm 145. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you. Praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate They will speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He's slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds, the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your domain endures throughout all generations. For the Lord is faithful in his works and kind in all of his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling. He raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. Open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Psalm 145 comes at the end of the book of Psalms. It's the coda. It's the the last page of the symphony, if you will. 
146, 47, 48, 50. Those last five, they're like the doxology. It's like the amen, 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 amen. But 140, 145 here is like what ties everything together. It's the greatest, if you will. The most important is that big, long crescendo of that magic, melodic song. And all of a sudden it comes to this beautiful place and he says, great are you, Lord. And he anchors that greatness in the goodness of God. You are abundantly good. You are good in all that you do. You are good in all that you create. As I look at your works, they're full of righteousness. They're full of kindness. The Lord, the name that is used again and again and again in this psalm is the Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's scripture's way of anchoring you in the deliverance story of Israel. That's the name that God gives to Moses on the mountain. When God says, hey, I'm going to send you back. We're going to get my people out of there. We're going to set people free from bondage. We're going to get them out of slavery. We're going to deliver them. Who should I send you? This is my name. You give them this name. I am that I am. Translated here, Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. I am the God who comes down and meets you. I am the God who comes and brings justice. I am the God who restores. I am the God who delivers. That's me. This is the name. That we're to anchor ourselves in. The God who is abundant in goodness, it says in verse 7. Look at that. They shall pour forth, verse 7, the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. When I was wrestling with how to put together this justice series, Okay, I knew it's, all right, let's just get some broad strokes. Jesus seems to care about justice, so we need to talk about that. And he seems to tell us that we should care about justice, so we should probably talk about that. Well, then what do we do? And I had this, all these other ideas of messages to come. But I'm like, God, it feels like we're missing something that drives the whole thing. Something that helps us understand when we have done justice and when we have not done justice what justice really is if restoring is our goal. Because to restore something means you're going to bring it back to its former glory, right? If you're someone who restores a car or restores furniture or restores the bathroom floor, we're going to get it back to what it was designed and intended to be. Well, to do that, then we need to talk about goodness. So I opened up all my big books because I have big books. I cannot lie, okay? And as you open them up, and so I, I pull up the goodness of God, and here's these pages and pages and pages of, of goodness of God, formulas and postulates and principles and really smart guys and gals talking about the goodness of God. And I'm like, hmm, yeah, that's not going to work in Piqua. But then I'm like, I don't have to read this book to know when something's good, do I? Right? Like, I don't have to go read the menu or read the recipe to know that something is good, do I? No, I can just taste it and I'm like, oh, that's good. That's good. 
I don't have to be in the, the training gatherings of, of the wait staff when they're meeting with the restaurant owner and operator. I don't have to know the ins and outs of whether or not it was a good wait staff when I go to the restaurant, right? I can go experience and then leave. And on that alone, I can say, oh, they were, that was good. That was good. My wife and I will joke around sometimes. We'll go to a concert or listen to music and she'll ask me, is that good? I'm like, you know, does it sound good? Then it's good. Right? Do you need to know how to read music and transpose music? Do you need to know how to, you know, write for different instruments? Do you need to understand the intricacies of the keys and how all the pieces are put? Do you need to know any of those things to know whether or not something sounds good? And you're like, that was good. That was good. Because part of goodness is an experience. It's experiencing something that leads me to say, because you did that, I am better for it on the other side. Because you did this, I am now that. I am flourishing. It was a good meal. It fed my soul. It was a good concert. It blessed me completely. A good friend. What makes a friend a good friend? I've had bad friends. Anybody have any bad friends? So you have had some bad friends? What makes a bad friend a bad friend? What makes a good friend a good friend? Well, a good friend does that which makes me better. I am better because of their presence. That means sometimes they say things that are nice and sometimes they say things that need to be said. Right? Right? Why? Because they're a good friend and they're not concerned with my happiness as much as they're concerned with my holiness, my wholeness, me coming back together, restored to what I was intended and designed to be. They're a part of goodness. God is abundantly good. We know that because what he has done and what we've experienced. That's why when you go through the beginning part of this psalm, they spend so much time talking about what he's done. If I were to start reading in verse 4, look, one generation will commend, talk about, praise, highlight your works to another. Okay? So that's like, hey, we're at this awesome restaurant. I will commend the works of the restaurant to others. Meaning, hey, dude, this is a really good place to eat. It was good. It was good. You shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty. On your wondrous works, I meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds. I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and sing aloud of your righteousness. For the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. I know it's good because of what he did and how people responded to it. I know it's good. I know that the Lord is good because of what he has done and how his people responded to it. Oh, 
God, you did that. Thank you. Oh, you healed this. Thank you. You are good. We were brainstorming a little bit in the beginning. What are maybe some of the things that the good Samaritan needed to do to help the man on the road, the woman on the road? Could you do that? Could you? Because God did this in my life. Thank you. Could you come up with five things? Could you come up with five things? Because God is good, because he is abundant in his goodness, perfect in how he relates to humanity, everything that God creates is good. Everything that flows out of him flows from a fountain of goodness. This is why when you open up the beginning of the story and you go to Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, something gets created and what does God say about it? Good. That was good. That was good. As, he, as all of creation begins to interrelate one to another, as he puts galaxies in relationship to other galaxies and stars in relationship to other planets, as, as things come together in a cosmic level, down to a global level, down to a boots on the ground level, as water interrelates with land. Yep, that's good. As birds interrelate with fish. Good, that's good. As animals interrelate with plants, he's like, good, very good, that's awesome. These are good things. They are what they were designed and intended to be. They're functioning in relationship one with another. This is peace. This is whole. That's why in the passage we call it paradise or Eden. Everything is where it's supposed to be, doing what it's supposed to do. It's good. Except one time he says it's not good. You guys know what it is? All the ladies should know this. Ladies, you know when God says it's not good? When the man's by himself. Yep. God's like, not good. Not good for the man to be alone. And all the men say, right? Meaning what? Means that we're designed to be in relationship one with another. In the image of God, he made them what? Male and female, he made them. Beyond the beauty of a marital relationship, it's about the fact that we were created relational beings and our goodness is experienced as we relate one to another, as we nurture and care for one another. So God makes male and female and then he says, very good. What God makes is good. He creates goodness. That also means that God will then share what is good. Think of sharing from a communication perspective. If you go through Psalm 145, there's this section where he starts talking about the kingdom. Verse 10, 11, 12, 13. Let me start reading in verse 11. They will speak of the glory of your kingdom. What is a kingdom? Okay, a kingdom is when certain things come together. King, people, place, and law. Okay, that's what a kingdom is. A king is a king with his people in a specific place, surrounded and within their law. Those are the things that exist, okay? This kingdom, God, we're gonna talk about, we're gonna tell of your power, verse 12, to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds, the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. Dominion, that's an awesome word. 
God says to man as he's in the garden, you need to have dominion. You need to bring about order and manifest goodness. Why? By doing things the way I told you to do it. Let me share with you what is good. All these things you can eat from, see that tree? Don't touch it. Don't eat from that. Stay away from the tree. And like any good toddler, right? But have you ever thought about why do they call the tree what they call the tree? The knowledge of good and evil. That's a mouthful. Why don't we just say bad tree? Bad tree. Bad tree. No, that tree is the knowledge of good and evil. Why? Because of what it represents. It represents the human determination to make good and evil on your own terms. To do the very thing that only God can do. Only God can say what is right and what is wrong. Only God can say what brings about flourishing and what brings about destruction and death. That's why the temptation is what the temptation is. You eat from that and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You'll get to decide what you think is good and what you think is evil. You'll get to choose what brings about flourishing and doesn't. The chaos of what you're seeing in the political sphere, in the cultural sphere, is a repeat manifestation of what you read in Genesis chapter 3. I will label it what I want to label it. I'll call it what I want to call it. If I think that's good, I'll call it good. If I think that's bad, I'll call it bad. I will make creation in my own image. It's a human thing. It's a heart thing. But only one is good and only one can call something good. And so God shares goodness, shares what is good, what is not good. Here is kingdom and here's where kingdom flourishes. And if you step outside of that, that's chaos. And that brings death and that brings destruction. Oh, isn't that exactly what happened? I know. Let's create things on our own terms. Let's do things our own way. And everything breaks. So God is all good, abundant good. He creates what is good. He shares what is and is not good. But then we break it. And so he has to restore what is good. He has to restore what is good. To restore it, to bring it back, to put it back to what it was. That's what we saw the good Samaritan doing in the story. This person left beaten and broken and stripped and robbed on the road. That's not how God intended that person to be. That person's designed to flourish. That person is designed to walk in in ministry and contribution and be in relationship one with another. His body is designed to function a certain way. His spirit is designed to function a certain way. And injustice has broken and shattered that. And so the good Samaritan restores him. God restores the good. Jesus became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Galatians chapter 2, 21. Meaning what? Jesus comes to restore two very important dynamics. This dynamic 
and this dynamic. He shows us how to do both. The sacrifice on the cross is the provision by which we can walk rightly now with God through what Jesus has done. Jesus is restoration. He restores us back to the Father. Further, he enables restoration one with another. That's why, what does he create? He creates church. He creates fellowship, community. Because it's not good for us to be alone. You want to get nervous about a follower of Jesus Christ? Let them go off on their own. It never, ever ends well. Pastor, I need some me time. See ya. I'll go get the first aid kit ready. Because this won't end well. It won't end well. It's always interesting from a pastoral perspective as the saints start to wander back in after their summer break of completely abusing and beating themselves spiritually and doing me time, what their Christian lives are like on the flip side of September. Oh, I just needed to do some me time. How'd that work out for you? Let me go get my first aid kit. Marriage better or worse? Finances better or worse? Work relationships better or worse? How's your quiet time? Better or worse? Yeah. So Jesus comes and on the cross, what is he doing? He's working to restore relationship with God and relationship one with another. That's why he says, hey, we love one another. That's what we do. We care for one another. That's what we do. Love, the tangible manifestation of goodness. Restoring, putting the pieces back together. That's why you are able to cry out justice when you see something wrong. Because it's down deep in your soul that that's not the way it's supposed to be. That's not how that person is supposed to live. That's not how that person's supposed to walk. That's not thriving. That's not flourishing. As someone experiences injustice or walks in injustice or creates injustice, why? Because of the foundation of God's goodness. That's not right. And so we look for the good. But restoring justice flows from recognizing goodness. That's why God says, I love justice. I love mercy. In Isaiah chapter 1, verses 1 through seven, one, uh, 17, one of the first passages that we looked at, he says, hey, stop doing evil, learn to do good. And guess what learning to do good is? Seek justice. Seek justice. So I wonder, maybe you've written some things down, maybe you haven't, but would you take out the notes if you haven't? Because we need to figure out how to sit in this place of goodness. Okay? The Lord is good. He, he creates good. He shares good. He restores good. There's a couple of things in this passage that jumped out to me that may, may help us on a day-to-day -day basis. Get the car out of the garage, if you will. Put a little... I have these, all these little notes from people that they've written me, and I put them in my Bible. If I like you. Some of the ones that I don't like are in there too. Gets me going. 
Um, how can we live in the place of goodness? Because if I'm recognizing goodness, that will flow into me participating in restoring justice. Uh, three words, ponder, praise, pace. Ponder, praise, pace. Daily pondering the goodness of God. He says this in verse 5. On the glorious splendor of your majesty, on your wondrous works, I will meditate. He says up in verse 2 every day. He does it every day. Every day, God, I think about your goodness. So can you come up with five things? Right now, can you come up with five things? Five expressions of God's goodness in your life personally. Where God has personally touched and manifest his goodness in your life. I told this story in the first gathering, and since I like you guys more, I'll tell it in this one too, okay? Uh, we were just gathering for an elders meeting. This had to be a virtual elders meeting because we were literally all over the country at that moment. Um, and Adam had shared that he had woke up, his sleep cycle is a little bit different than most people's, um, and his foot was in a lot of pain. His foot was in so much pain that he didn't think he was going to be able to go to work that night. That kind of, if you know Adam, that has to be pretty bad because Bennett will push through anything, okay? So it's in a bad spot if he's going to have to call off work. And it came out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere, that much excruciating pain. And so, you know, let's stop. Let's pray. Let's pray. So Doug was there and Adam, we prayed. We just asked God to manifest his goodness and heal Adam's foot. Meeting went on. We said, you know, goodbye. Love y'all. We went on with our lives. Um, Adam responded back. I think it was just the next day maybe. He says, I got up from the table and the pain was gone. Yeah, I got up from the table and the pain was gone. I was able to go to work. God's manifest goodness. We say that's good. Why? Because Adam was better for it on the other side. God put the pieces back together again. That's what God does. God is good. He creates good. He shows good. So he restores the good. He restores what is good. I think in my own life, my, the privilege that I have of being married to my best friend, okay, God, through her, puts my pieces back together again. Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes God puts big pieces together through her. But her patience, her kindness, her gentleness to deal with my Neanderthalic-like stupidity at times. I know goodness because of my bride. God, thank you. I know you are good because through her, you make me better. I'm better on the other side. Does that mean I'm happy all the time? No. Does that mean sometimes she will say and do things that have to stretch me and push me into the best version of myself? 100% yes. And her and God have an amazing partnership. Because if I were me, I would have given up on me a long time ago. What about you? What's your five things? Five ways that daily you could just think upon these five things. You reflect upon the moment when God's grace got a hold of you in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. 
that the day before, nothing. But something happened on that day, at that moment, at that place, where all of a sudden the grace of God's goodness just came a-tumbling down into your soul, and you couldn't stop it, and you wouldn't have wanted to even if you could. So overwhelmed by his goodness and his forgiveness and his righteousness that he wants to walk with you and he'll pay the ultimate price to make it happen. To reflect on that. To ponder. He says he meditates on the goodness of God. I want you to come up with five things. Five things. If you can't come up with five, you call me this week and we'll talk. Okay? Because for some people it's hard. Our culture makes it hard. You want to know what we want to talk about? We want to talk about things that we don't like. We want to talk about things that are broken. We want to talk about people that hurt us. We want to talk about things we don't like about the government or what we don't like about the weather or we don't like about lunch. He says, no, I meditate on God on your mighty deeds. And what happens is as you start to ponder his goodness, it turns into praise. If you keep going through all that, he says, hey, we commend your mighty works. We declare your deeds. We meditate on them. We speak of your awesome deeds. We declare your greatness. We sing aloud of your righteousness. Because what happens is I start to see that the creator of all things and all of his goodness comes down and meets me. It's like when the good Samaritan might have walked back through that door three days later and that man who was beaten and abused sees his caregiver for the first time. What do you think the response was? Thank you. Thank you for not leaving me. Thank you for picking me up. Thank you for getting me this room. Thank you for healing this. Thank you for anointing that. Thank you for washing. Thank you for clothing. Thank you for doing. Thank you. Thank you. Pondering leads to praise. And that also will play into pace. Pace. Meaning it will enable you to go slower with other people. You'll go slower with other people. He who has been forgiven much loves much. As you see someone in need, as justice wells up inside of you to go slow with another human being, to like the good Samaritan, stop yourself, to get off the horse, high horse, pay, to heal, to give, to invest, to come back and see it through. We, um, yesterday, a bunch from our foundations program was helping serve alongside of agape, agape, not agave. I have one son who thinks every time I say that, we're going to go get tacos. At Agape up in Sydney, it was the first of their farmers' markets on Saturday. Uh, on the square, and Agape Distribution was bringing in 16 pallets of toys. 16 
pallets. Like there was one semi-truck and then they brought a whole nother semi-truck to give away, just to give away. We set up the, ta- the tables and the awnings and there was like, I don't know, 10 or 12 different toys and Nerf guns and Lego sets and makeups and you name it and it, it was awesome. And our people were there and some of the people who went through the line probably didn't need to, but God is kind to the just and the unjust. He's kind to all, right? It's not an issue about who did and who didn't. Some of them you could definitely tell that was about as close to Christmas as they had been in a long time, okay? As close as, I mean, they're walking away, like with boxes and boxes and boxes. A great experience. And by God's grace, you know, one or two stand out to me in my memory. One of them was a young person who was in a wheelchair and she had an external fixator on her head so that she could not move, okay? That means that she is bolted to a metal frame, four bolts on this side, four bolts on this side. And then there's actually a fixator that came around to hold her jaw in place. Could not see very well, could not speak very, very well. A soul that you would say in due of restoration. Beautiful, beautiful soul. And the person pushing the wheelchair. You ever push someone in a wheelchair? As fast as you want to go? Right? Right? That's not the, that's not the job though, is it? You don't go at your pace. You go at their pace. And the love and the kindness. I don't know if this was a mother or a guardian or a caregiver that was willing to walk alongside of this person to help describe toys and put them in in their lap and explain and to go at their pace. Because that's goodness. That's goodness. And I long for the day when Jesus puts those souls back together again. Right? Souls no longer corrupted by death and disease and brokenness but we can start now, can't we? We don't have to wait till then. We can, we can start that project now. As I ponder God's goodness, it turns to praise of God's goodness and enables me to walk at a pace of goodness for others. He says he loves justice. If we will become a people that love justice and will do likewise, we need to begin to recognize goodness. Thank you for sharing your time with us and we'd love for the journey to continue. If you're a guest, would you consider reaching out to us? We would love to come alongside and encourage you in any way that we can. If you're someone who's joined us today and you are desperately reaching to find hope wherever you can, again, Jesus came that we would find hope. You can find hope today. If you wanna send us a short note, a member of our hope team would reach out quickly, promptly, to come alongside and see what we can do to encourage you in whatever storm you might find yourself in. That's why Jesus came, and that's why we're here. Jesus said there's two ways to live your life, and a wise man, a wise woman, builds their life on Jesus' instructions. God bless.